Listener Production. Author and psychic Ainsley McLeod says your soul may hold the secrets to your path in life. He believes that each person's soul holds a life plan that was created before that person was born. Ainsley says past lives explain everything. Without knowing where you've been, you can never truly know where you're going. In this intimate conversation, Ainsley and I go on a spiritual journey. We speak about the true meaning of the soul and how uncovering past life trauma can heal unexplained fears, phobias and other blocks to happiness in the present. But the soul is essentially there to give you consciousness, but it comes in with a kind of agenda, an agenda uh, based often on what's happened in previous lifetimes. So that you might, for example, have been abandoned in your last life. And then in this life, your soul wants to learn lessons about belonging and community and love and so on. It's very often like karmically balancing one life with the next. I'm Sarah Grimberg, and this is A Life of Greatness. Working as a podcast and radio producer, I have been fortunate enough to cross paths with many intriguing people who have had a profound impact on me. In this series, I share stories and experiences from the people who have brought inspiration to my life and hopefully yours too. Ainsley McLeod is an award-winning author of the books The Instruction, The Transformation and The Old Souls Guidebook. Originally from Scotland, he currently resides in the Pacific Northwest of America. I started by asking Ainsley, how did he know he was psychic? Oh boy. Well, I didn't know I was psychic for really the longest time. Uh, Looking back, I mean, all the signs were there. When I was a child, I was always uh, picking up things, you know, from other people. I could tell when people were lying. I saw a couple of ghosts. Um, How do you know that they were ghosts? Well, I didn't really know until I I was in my 40s and I actually started working with spirit guides on the other side. And um, and I was running a few things by them and I was going, you know, that was a damn weird thing that happened. And they said, oh, yeah, you know, when you're, when you're psychic, you'll get these things happening that uh, those who are, I don't know much about ghosts. It's not my area of expertise at all, but sometimes these uh, souls get a little stuck. And they'll seek out those who can see them. So, you know, I just had a couple of fairly meaningless encounters. But uh, looking back, there were all those signs there. And I I kept running into people, well, usually psychics, who would tell me that I was psychic and should be doing something with it. And, uh, you know, even in a couple of dimes in pubs in London. And... uh, but I, I, I was fascinated by psychics as well. But I didn't think, I, was, I, I considered myself a non-believer. I, I mean, in fact, I, I would tell everybody I was an atheist and I had no time for spiritual stuff or religion or anything. And uh, yet I was really fascinated by psychics. And then I ended up, uh, I, I grew up in Scotland, lived for a long time in, in London, and then moved to the States. And while I was... Uh, living in England, a psychic had told me that I'd end up in California. He said, There's, and I complained. I went, oh God, I went there once, didn't like it. And uh, and then I had this really weird experience that a, a whole bunch of events led me to San Francisco. And on my first evening there, I meditated, which I hadn't done for a long time. And a few minutes into it, 
and actually literally heard the voice of the psychic, like it was in the room, not not in my head, um, saying, you're going to end up in California. There's nothing you can do about it. And that was the first sort of epiphany, the, the, the first moment where I went, oh, holy cow. The next day, I just bought every spiritual book I possibly could. And I was just, I was fascinated. Like, how could a, how could a psychic tell you 10 years ahead, you know, like 10 years ago, I'd end up in San Francisco. And uh, even sort of against my will, if you like. And so I, I got really interested in trying to figure out how do psychics do it? What's, what's, what's going on on the other side? Mm. And then I continued to run into psychics who would, you know, of course, tell me that I should be doing it. And I, I really, I, I felt about a psychic as a wet paper bag. You know, I just, I, I didn't, in fact, I, I blundered through life. What I realized later was that I'd just not been paying any attention to my intuition and making, you know, we're, we're, we're sort of interesting mistakes. And, uh, so that I had the second epiphany when I was in Hawaii. I went for a trip there and I was wandering around a bookstore in a very altered state. And I knew there was something really odd. I was going, gosh, I, I feel really weird. And I'd, I'd been there for about 10 minutes and suddenly my uncle, who died 10 years earlier, appeared what? right beside me. And it was like, he was there for like only a second but it's real, more real than anything I could have pictured or imagined. So did he look like he did before he passed? He looked like maybe 10 years before he passed. Oh, yeah. wow. And a, a big smile on his face. And But there was a message, and the message was longer. I mean, it was like the, the, the image was there for a second. The message was maybe 10 or 20 seconds long, and it was all about working together. And I had heard from... I think three or four psychics at that point that my uncle was wanting to work with me, that he was a spirit guide. And even, in fact, even the guy in England who told me I'd end up in California, he, he said, <laughs> oh, you know, sure, your uncle John wants to work with you. And I thought, you know, I mean, I was still... Had you been close to your uncle John before he passed? Yeah, we had a good connection. Oh, that's nice. Um, he didn't live in the same country, but, uh, yeah. you know, we, 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 we saw quite a bit of each other and you know, got on great, but he was an atheist too. You know, I was like, and I would joke, I would say like, I really don't think he's going to be, he's not going to have any time for, <laughs> for this sort of stuff, you know, spirit guide by ours. And, um, so anyway, uh, I, I, I was, this happened in Hawaii. I went back to, I was living at the time on a houseboat, uh, just North of San Francisco. I was very, very quiet. And I just went back and I thought, okay, well, people keep telling me I can do this. So I just sat quietly and I said okay I feel a bit of an idiot but John are you there and did you seriously say and, that in a room John are you there is that how yeah. you call on them well I, I at the time I didn't really know what you know I love that do. that is amazing yeah so that that was it it started the conversation it was a very stilted conversation and he passed me on to other spirit guides who I then ended up working with and I just practiced and practiced I spent about three years really developing the ability to talk to those on the other side and uh, just every available moment. I was, I was an illustrator for years. Uh, I was a cartoon illustrator. And every time I got a break, I was talking to the spirit world. And I really was curious about just how does it all work? And they started to really um, work on my focus because I, I didn't know, I'm gonna, am I going to be a medium and talk to the freshly dead or I'm going to, am I going to find 
missing objects or missing people or whatever. And over time, it just got kind of refined. And then it really became, it was all related to what really fascinated me, which was human beliefs and behavior, you know, what makes us who we are. And that became the the focus. Uh, what is a spirit guide? Like what's the difference between someone who's just passed and gone over to the other side and a spirit guide, or is it the same thing? Well, it's, it's kind of, they're, they're in spirit, but somebody who's just gone over to the other side may not have the experience or the wisdom to be able to help you. The spirit guides are those who have passed over to the other side and are also working on, it's part of their plan, you know, it's to, but we'll all do it, you know, at some point mm. is to help those on the on the physical plane. The ones I work with, my uncle being sort of freshly deceased and going between lives, he's on what's called the astral plane. And that's where we we all go between lives to to kind of download and uh, process everything that we've learned. So the spirit guides I work with are on the almost like the next level up if you like, they, and and the focus is slightly different. A lot of mediums uh, will, will work with those on the astral plane, you know, it's like, you know, grandma on the other side and mm. messages of, you know, support and reassurance and so on. The spirit guides that I, I work with just have a different perspective and it's a little broader. It's a, it's big picture stuff. So the, the kind of information that I get is more, uh, it's, it's about, where you've been in many lifetimes that you've had, the lessons that you're learning, where you're going in the future. Uh, it's it's a pretty cosmic stuff. That sounds unbelievable. And, and, yeah, and as I as I started working with people, like I say, it took me about three years really to to gain the confidence. I was so terrified of getting something wrong. You know, what was I? What if I was working with somebody and I screwed their life up? You know, so I was very very cautious. And then when I started. Uh, reading for people, that's where past lives started coming in over and over, you know, like, uh, you know, even I'd get people saying, I don't want to hear about my past lives. I just want to talk about the present one. And within 10 minutes, we'd be talking about a past life because Mm. it's almost like you can't understand uh, where you're going if you don't know where you've been. When you communicate with the spirit guides, do you see them or do you just hear them? I hear them. Yeah. Well, and do they just talk to you like I'm talking to you now? Pretty much, except it's it's really hard to, to explain. They call it clear audience. Mm. And the, the, the old guy that I, I saw in England who was telling me about California and my uncle and so on, uh, he he literally had a voice in his ear. You know, he's turning towards the voice yeah. and going, what, what, what? Oh, right, I'll tell him. And I get more, It's it's somewhere like a, like I get full sentences, but I couldn't say they're totally audible, and it's it's really really hard to explain. But in my head, while I, while I'm getting information from the other side, there's nothing else in there. Yeah, and it comes it comes in full sentences these days. We did experiment with more uh, clairvoyance and images, and I still get a little bit of that. So the soul, what what do you think the soul is? And everyone has one. Yeah, every, everyone's got a soul. I mean, you might wonder about that sometimes, but everybody's got one. And the the soul is really what gives us consciousness. Uh, you can't 
you, I mean, you literally can't function with us without a soul. And your your soul actually sees itself as part of a trio, a mind, body, and spirit trio, which is why uh, it's what makes past lives so interesting because we carry from one life to another physical issues and and uh, fears and phobias and all sorts of things will show up uh, from past lives. But the soul is essentially there to um, to give you consciousness, but it comes in with a kind of agenda, an agenda uh, based often on what's happened in previous lifetimes. So that you might, for example, have been abandoned in your last life. And then in this life, your soul wants to learn lessons about belonging and community and love and, and so on. It's it's very often like karmically balancing one life um, with the next. So I see all sorts of, you know, fabulous variations on that. Sometimes the soul can have a feeling of unfinished business from one life to the next. That if it died young, it didn't get the chance to to do all the things that it had planned for that life. And then it'll come into this one desperate to learn. This is where people read all the time are um they're you know may have a very strong feeling that they don't have enough time to get everything done in this life. Um but it's all because things were not complete. There was a guy I was working with it, it's a couple of years ago. Every so often I get somebody calls me up and uh, I do all my sessions by phone or Skype. And so this guy called me up and uh, I asked him if he had any questions. And most people, there's somewhere between three and 30 questions they want to, to talk about. And he said, no, absolutely nothing. I think his daughter had a session with me or a cousin or something. And he he just wanted to see what would happen. So I just thought, okay, fair enough. I can work anyway. Um, so I just said to the spirit guy, it's okay, just tell me anything about this guy. Mm. And they said, well, he was involved in the the design of the earliest submarines. And his, his specialty was pitch, yaw, and roll, which apparently are to do with the angles of movement of... Uh, submarines and planes and uh, I was going okay well you know fair enough and usually I just throw these things out and yeah. see what you know what sticks you know, to make yeah. any sense and he said to me he said I said does it mean anything to you and um, he goes I'm obsessed with pitch yaw and roll and how to <laughs> how to make these things work better and I'm going who the hell else could ever say that uh, he it turned out he was uh he had all sorts of designs. I mean, he sent me some uh, sketches and they were, actually, they were actually annotated with pitch, yaw and roll. And he he had um, he'd created sort of very amazing little flight simulators for his kids. And um, it's like a sort of like inventor. But, but what he was doing was completing a life that had ended prematurely. Mm. You know, it's, uh, he, he, his soul was still wanting to explore more around this subject. And we're all doing this in some way or another. Uh, I work with a lot of healers, and these are people who've developed the, the ability and the interest through being healers in past lives. Artists, you, know, you can see somebody who's an artist in this life, they'll go back to maybe, maybe multiple lives as an artist. All talents are past life abilities. We develop them. 
uh, over time. And it doesn't always have to be like for like. You could find that somebody could make a really good surgeon in this life, but they were a midwife in last life and an herbalist in the one before and so on. So it doesn't have to be always exactly the same. But what it does is it gives you an interest and in which can develop into a passion. So if we come into this life, you know, with a plan or a purpose and it's something that we may have done in a past life, why do you think it's so hard for people to achieve what their purpose is in life? And, you know, a lot of people don't even know if they have one. Well, that's a really interesting question because I think it's certainly, I I try to address this in my new book because so many people think that, uh, their destiny is some kind of secret, you know, like uh, the, the universe is deliberately trying to keep this mysterious. But in fact, those on the other side, are, are they're really desperate to help us. They, they want to, uh, you know, illuminate our paths for us. I think one of the problems, that sounds very fundamental, very basic, is I think most people just don't really know that they have a life plan. They never even think about it. But we all come in, into this life for a reason. What I tell people is that it's not just about your day job. Because, I, I, again, I think that's a bit of a myth. You know, people think, oh, I'm here for a reason. And then it, it must be what I do during the day. It's got to be my job. But it's, it's not always. It can be a lot of little things as well. What I talk about is that you, if you really want to understand why you're here, you need to, uh, you need to really begin with knowing who you are. Because who you are really is why you're here. And I, I, I talk in the book about how you wouldn't wear flip-flops to climb Mount Everest. Mm. And what your soul does is it chooses an appropriate personality for every life that comes along. So if, if the soul's intention is to you know, be a leader and um, it might be a leader of a corporation or an organization or Boy Scout troop or whatever it is, but it will then choose to have a, a leader's part of its personality. And again, it's, it's able to tap into the experience from past lives and draw on that in the present. So what if, you know, there are a lot of people out there that want to be a certain thing but can't quite get there? Like, what does that mean? If you mean like somebody wants to be an artist but they just can't quite... yes. Make it happen, say, or, want or to be a someone musician wants or, to be an actor or, you know, they want to be their head of a company or maybe even just work at a certain place and they just haven't been able to kind of get that lucky break, as you would say, or maybe they haven't mastered being an artist, but that's what they feel is their purpose. Well, I think one of the unfortunate things about living in the modern world is that uh, we don't get the chance to really be who we are you know we we live in a world that's run by corporations and you know and and you know we don't always get a lot of encouragement i mean i, I think of one of my kids who's uh i was in my kid's school talking talking with the teacher and my kid and uh my my son was interested in being an artist and the the teacher's going well you, you know you'll you'll never make any money at that and yet i'd been an artist for 20 years and made plenty of money. I was doing okay. And my kid's mother was a graphic designer and seemed to do okay. And so, you know, we have these messages that we get, or, you know, and then it's, you know, and now my kid's doing science. Uh, but, you know, I think we, we, sometimes there are things that we are meant to do 
and we get discouraged. You know, parents can have a huge effect, teachers and so on. Um, and also, I think sometimes we don't follow what uh, intrigues us. Our, our souls are pushing us all the time to, to be on our life plan and to do the things that we're meant to do. And we get these little nudges. And it can be just a little interest in something. But people don't always uh, follow it. One of the other myths um, you get is that, you know, you should follow some kind of passion. But how many people really feel passionate mm. about something? Usually what it is, it, re well, it really begins by following what intrigues you. And that can develop into a, a passion. And, you know, the whole thing about um, having a life plan, which every soul has, is that it, it, things don't always work out. Well, that's it. That kind of brings me to my next question. Do you believe that, you know, that some things are fated, like, you know, you, we were supposed to meet a certain person somewhere within our lifetime and those connections will be made or, you know, you're always going to end up in a certain profession? Or So, you know, we're here for a reason and it's not just about sort of, you know, waking up, going to work, watching TV and then dying, Um you know, there's, there's there's so much more in between, and we can, you know, we we can mold uh, our our life plans. You know, there's a balance between destiny and free will that I talk about in the book as well to make sure that, you know, we're 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 giving our spirit guides the best chance, if you like, as as well. You know, work working with them. Um, it's I asked the spirit guides once how much work goes into things like us meeting somebody, mm. you know, meeting a soulmate. I mean, that's a big one yes. that people want to know about. And they, they said, well, it's what we do. They said, it's uh, you know, cause you kind of wonder, you know, what are spirit guides doing 24 hours a day? I mean, they never sleep. You know, yeah. They're always there, you know, what, what they get up to, what they get up to when I'm asleep. Um, they're working the whole time to help us meet each other. And, um, our, the agreements that we have with people to have relationships of all kinds, not just romantic relationships, but they, these are, um, they're decided kind of ahead of time in many cases, but things change once, once you get to the physical plane, once you're born, you know, it, uh, things, you know, can kind of go wrong or you get off, off the track. And so your soul's constantly recalibrating with the, help with spirit guides. And so they're working on the other side, trying to get us to connect. And I, I said, could you give me an idea of how complicated this might be? And they showed me a little, little picture of, of it looked like uh, if, if you see the, the diagram in, a, in an in-flight magazine of where, you know, all the places that Delta flies to, it's like all these intersecting lines. And then they overlaid that with another, then another, and another. And the idea was to say that, you know, we're working on this all the time. It can be little nudges. It can be, you know, they might be nudging you to go up and talk to somebody or pay attention when an opportunity comes your way or turn left instead of right when you go out the door. All those little ways of trying to ensure that you you meet somebody. And, uh you know, we're, the, the soulmate thing is a really big deal. I mean, I get asked about this yeah. all what the is time. It? How yeah. do you know if you've met your soulmate? And does a soulmate have to be a lover or is it just, can it be a, like a best friend? What is a soulmate? Uh, well, we have, a, at, at the top level, we have a soul family. And these are souls that are, are incarnated at the same time as, uh, we all come, come in at the same time roughly. Uh, it could be, let's say 5,000 years ago, your soul family comes in. 
and off you go. It's like a, it's like a horse race. You know, you off, off you go through your lives. You know, one person falls at the first fence, dies when they're age three. Somebody else goes on to be ninety, um, and then you're going through all your lifetimes back and forth to the astral plane, processing, planning, coming back, and uh, you know, some people get to the, the finishing line before others. Um, uh, but we're all the time trying to reconnect. Particularly, older souls are trying to connect up with members of the soul family. My spirit guides generally use the term uh, soulmate when they're talking about a romantic relationship. Otherwise, they'll use the term old friend. Now, an old friend is somebody who's from your soul family that you've known before. A soulmate is an old friend with whom you have a romantic agreement. Mm. So, one of the the things I think is so important to understand is that you don't just have one agreement. Because I've, I've had that where somebody goes, well, you know, I can't stand my husband, but he's my soulmate, so I guess i got to stick with him. And, <laughs> you know, well, maybe you do, maybe you, yeah. you know, but, but, you know, we're not victims of, um, uh, you know, of circumstance. You know, maybe, maybe the big lesson is that you move on. Um, your soul will make multiple agreements. Very, very, very few people are meant to be alone. I mean, it, it happens, unfortunately. Sometimes people really want to be with somebody and they, it, it, it doesn't happen. But I've only in the time that I've been working with people, which is about 20 years now, I've met two people who it shows up in their life plan and they're just not meant to be with, they don't want to be with anybody, mm. live alone, really happy. If they had a partner, they would be miserable. But most of us want to be with somebody. And it's good to know that there's not just one. Like if, if it doesn't, work out for whatever reason because you know you, you could have a perfect plan you know it's created on the astral plane and, but, but when you meet that person they could be um could oh, it could be anything it could be violent it could be severely alcoholic it could be you know all, yeah. all sorts of things that might act as a block to to having a relationship so you're not in any way obliged um you know, like think, well, gosh, it's my, it's, this is my soulmate. I guess I'd better put up with whatever nonsense is going on. You know, you, you, sometimes the, the, the big lesson be, can be to move on and, and then, you know, look for something else, you know, learn, learn from the experience. How do you know, though, if they're your soulmate? Because, I mean, you know, people might have heaps of different boyfriends, girlfriends, lovers, and I'm sure not every single person that you have a romantic thing with is a soulmate. So how do you know if they're a soulmate? Generally, you get a sense of familiarity. And that's the, like like I say, you've known this soul before. Not only are they from the the same larger family, but they are also an old friend, which which just implies that you've, you've been together Maybe you were married in a past life. Maybe you're business partners, but you've maybe that person was your child. And uh, but you should get a sense of it's like you know I've, I feel like I've known you before. Mm. Some, something so familiar. In your book, the Old Souls Guidebook, obviously past lives is huge. How do we know how many past lives we've had? Well, you can ask somebody like me, but uh, that would, you know, if, if some people are interested in a number, it, it, it doesn't matter too much. Uh, the what you what you can do is you can get a sense of how many lifetimes you've had or where you are. Uh, the system that I use, which uh, this is what I downloaded from my spirit guides years ago, 
uh, it helps to understand the that soul ages are divided into there's ten levels mm. with multiple multiple lifetimes at each. So you might be a very old soul with let's say 120 lifetimes behind you, and it can take you back and forth between here and the astral plane, maybe something like five, six, even seven thousand years to get wow. through all those those lives. And uh, so it's and, and which is a cosmic journey if you think about it. It's pretty amazing. And uh, the people that I work with tend to be much older souls, level nine, level 10. And um, you can kind of tell, obviously, I have the advantage of having spirit guides who, who, who will tell me on behalf of a client. But you can generally get an idea of where you are by your, your, through your beliefs and behavior. As the soul ages, it goes from a place of me to we, it's, or, or even from fear to love. And it's just through constant experience, it's just about learning, about being human, that we develop over time just a greater compassion and concern for others. So one of the signs of being a very old soul is that you're a little bit more compassionate, a little bit more, or even a lot more altruistic than, than maybe the next person. It's really, you know, when we think about what does it mean to be a really old soul, well, it means that you've you've learned some very, very important lessons about the, the core values, the things that matter most to the soul or what it's really trying to achieve. And those are things like um, peace, truth, love, understanding, and these higher values. So those are the, the, the sort of markers. What's the difference between a young and old soul? Well, broadly speaking, younger souls are... Those ones who are up to the the end of level five, old souls are from level six up to to the end of level ten. Younger souls, uh, they te- tend to find it difficult to um, go within. There's less introspection, so they're often more about uh, being out in the world. Um, a lot of world leaders are younger souls, and they don't necessarily represent. The, their constituency, you know, where, where they can, there, there are a lot of old souls, a lot of old souls in Australia, a lot of old souls in the US and, and all over the place. Um, but we live in, you know, what's predominantly a little bit of a younger soul world. It's all sort of like uh, there's exploitation and a lot of greed and, and so on. And that can actually make it really hard for old souls to thrive. And there's certainly ways to do that, but you know, it, it's tough being an old soul in a, a young soul, more sort of aggressive uh, world. In your book, you uh, say, you talk about karma and you say it's not necessarily what you think it is. How do we define what karma is? And does it affect our lives? Oh, well, it certainly affects us, us hugely. There's an idea that karma is, it can be some kind of punishment. You know, like you did something bad, you'll come back as a cockroach and yeah. you know, or, or, or suffer some kind of punishment in a way. It can sometimes look a little bit like that, but it's all about balance. It's just about balancing one life with the next. So, uh, and it's, it's, it's very hard to tell looking at somebody if they are balancing karma. I mean, some, well, sometimes it's very obvious, like, you know pitch you on roll guy I was talking about obviously there's some balance going on between one life and, and the next but some people become healers because they're 
they maybe took took a lot of lives. And maybe they were in the military in a war in a past life, and they're they're making up for it. Maybe doing more sort of humanitarian work or something like that. But you can also get somebody who was a victim of war, uh, who would then be very very conscious about you know wanting to make a difference. Um, and maybe, you know, work right next to that other person. You can't tell by necessarily by looking at them. Um, and in as the spirit guides will say, you're not meant to, you know, you're not meant to be judging somebody for what they do, you know, like looking at somebody and saying, well, they, you know, they're in a wheelchair, so they must have done something bad in a past mm. life, or, you know, it doesn't work like that, or, or whatever. And I, I like to, you know, point out that always that it's not punishment. But what you will get is the, the soul going, okay, well, we, we experience this. How do we balance it? Now, I talked in, in my second book about uh, uh, Truman, the president who dropped bombs on, on Japan yeah. at the end of World War II. And there's huge karma for doing something like that. And this is, you know, it doesn't matter whether you think it's, you know, right or the wrong thing to do. Uh, but from a spiritual point of view, a lot of lives are taken and they're it's the responsibility of that. There's more karma owed. The further up the totem pole you are, the the, the more responsibility, the more choice you have, yes. then the more karma. So that soul was um, had had a couple of lifetimes at the point that I looked at it. Uh, first one had been, uh, it was a girl raised, and you know, it looks like it, it, it would be punishment, but it's not. But it's a girl raised in a very, very toxic, polluted area, of uh, of Russia, where it, it was, death was quite early, it was from uh, radiation poisoning, and that is not punishment, but it's because nobody's forcing the soul to go, you know, say like you did this bad thing and off you go and die horribly. But what the soul is saying is like, okay, well I inflicted something on people, so now I need to see what the other side of the coin is. Yeah, a lot of people died from, from radiation poisoning, so now I'll. I'll see what what that's like, and remember, everybody has to have a soul. So, um, and these experiences, of course, will teach the soul, you know, very very important lessons about uh, treating people decently and um, lessons about peace and kindness and so on. And the the second life that I looked at with with Truman, he was um, involved, maybe still doing it, involved in the cleanup at uh, Chernobyl. And there, there may be, you know, quite a number of lifetimes to overcome the effects of something as major as, as happened in uh, World War Two. We're all working on karma it's in some way. It's balancing all the time, and that's all it is: Const, constant balance. This happened. Let's see the other side of the the coin. What, um, Ainsley, for yourself, and obviously being in this profession, what's the most difficult choice you've had to make to walk this path? I guess the biggest thing for me was that I I went into this this work with a lot of um, fears, and there were fears around things like uh, public speaking, and huge concern about what if I wrote something and people didn't like it or me or whatever, and I had a huge embarrassment about being a psychic. I was always trying to find different ways of expressing what I did. And of course, nobody could understand. I'd eventually have to come back to the word psychic. It, um, 
it was through doing past life work. Uh, this is the amazing thing about past life exploration is that we can heal fears, phobias, limiting beliefs, physical ailments, all sorts of things through just reminding the soul that something is from a past life. Mm. So I went back into different past lives and I overcame fears around judgment, self-expression, rejection, inferiority, and so on. And that allowed me to to go out and talk about my first book and be able to to do public speaking for the first time in 30 years. And uh, it transformed my life. And it's, you know, it's one of the reasons I feel so passionate about it. What is a life of greatness to you? A life of greatness to me is one where you do the things that you're meant to be doing. Like you follow your soul's the direction, you know, the small, still voice of your soul. And, and I, I think a life of greatness has a lot to do with being authentic. It's about being yourself. And uh, and that often takes a lot of work, you know, to to get beyond other people's expectations of how you should be. I mean, I think that's one of the biggest, most common things that we, we all have to deal with. And uh, I think also kindness towards others, helping other people on the way, doing things that, that benefit humanity and the environment, and, you know, the, the actual planet we live on, all those sort of things I think uh, and when I think of somebody who, who lives a, a life maybe of greatness or, or expansiveness or largeness, there's something about um, acceptance and encouragement of others. You know, they're not just isolated or living in a vacuum. Ainsley McLeod, thank you so much for your beautiful words of wisdom. Thank you so much. I've really enjoyed the discussion. Thank you for having me. If you've enjoyed this episode, then I'd love you to join my community on Instagram at Sarah Grimberg, where we post videos and behind-the-scenes footage of each recording. You can also join my private Facebook group, Live Life Greatly, where we discuss the content in this episode and many more, as well as give advice and tips on how to live a life of love and meaning. To purchase my ebook, Finding Greatness, head to sarahgrimberg.com. And if you love what you heard, then we'd love you to hit subscribe on Apple Podcasts or your favourite podcast app and leave a five-star review. It will help us share this wisdom with others. A Life of Greatness's executive producer is me, Sarah Grimberg. Audio producers, Matt Nikolich and Darcy Thompson. Special thanks to Grant Tothill for bringing this dream to life. For more episodes, search a Life of Greatness podcast, download the new listener app now and listen for free. Listener.